Hello, my name is Nathan Foster, and welcome once again to the Renovari Weekly Podcast. I so love getting to do these podcasts. They're just lots of fun for me, and I remain super grateful for all of you who tune in each week. And this week, I get to interview my good friend, Robert Moore Jumanville. Robert is a much-loved professor of spiritual formation at Spring Arbor University and a Methodist pastor. Robert's written a book titled Jogging with G.K. Chesterton. And so in this interview, we chat about the wonderfully wacky world of literary great G.K. Chesterton. Enjoy. Mojo! Nate! We get to chat. I know. This is great. It's great to see you. It's been too long. It has. It has. It's good. This is good. Um, G.K. Chesterton. Yeah. So I sort of fell into Chesterton. I I forget. um, I think I was at Taylor University at the time, and somebody said, will you help us teach this C.S. Lewis and Friends class? Okay. Um, And my wife, Kimberly, was teaching something, Dorothy Sayers, and... Uh, he said, will you teach Chesterton? And I said, well, I've only read Orthodoxy. And he said, okay, it's yours. <laughs> so, and then he got... This is at the qualification to teach <laughs> Exactly. Teach I class. guess it's like, because nobody else was going to do it, you know? So I'm nominated. Um, and uh, and so he got me in contact with Gilbert Magazine, which okay. is the magazine of the American Chesterton Society. And uh, yeah, and so I started to, I, I proposed to the president of the American Chesterton Society, Dale Alquist, um, that, that I do a column for them. I'd written, I wrote, I wrote a couple articles for them and they're like, you know, 900 words, mm-hmm. little essay. And, uh, and so I was thinking, well, what am I qualified to write about? You know, sure. I, I mean, I like Chesterton and I can read him forever. Um, but I thought, well, you know, that's, that's like, uh, you're, you're supposed to have something that you know something about if you're a writer. So I thought, well, sure. I jog. And, and then I thought, well, I'll just do jogging with G.K. Chesterton, you know, which is, it's a bit whimsical because he was like 300, you know, 300 pounds, six foot three. Okay. And if you, if you put him in tennis shoes, you know, you think that you're going to get some earthquakes. <laughs> um, so I, I, so I ended up writing this, um, column for like 12 years, I think uh-huh. 2002 to 2012. And it was just the most, you, you're a writer and you know this, like you've, you've had some, You've had to be under pressure for deadlines and things like sure. that. But I, it was like, uh, I wasn't getting paid for this. You know, nobody ever read them. <laughs> so, you know, it was like, great. It's like I could write whatever I wanted to, you know. Yeah. And so, like, thinking about uh, jogging G.K. Chesterton and Christmas or something, you know, because okay. he, he loved Christmas. Okay. Um, and so, just gradually, I got to know more and more about him. Um, by no means an expert because he wrote so much. He's just... Uh, he he's he just prolific, and, mm-hmm. and and he the great thing about him is it, what, what's interesting is is he wrote so many different kinds of uh, uh, literature, or mm-hmm. you know, just he was a genre um, master of, of a lot of different genres, maybe master of none. <laughs> but uh, so basically, he was a journalist. That's what he would have called himself. And when give me the dates, what are we looking? Yeah, so uh, he was born in eighteen seventy four. I believe, and then uh, he died in in uh, 1936. Okay, didn't live a super long life. Um, and Br- British guy, British, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of his friends went to Oxford or Cambridge or something like that. You know, about 19 mm-hmm. years old, and um, and he ends up going to the Slade Art School, uh, University of London. I think it's University of London. Uh, 
and uh, he 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 gets at that point. He goes through this crisis. He wasn't his family weren't religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were sort of middle class, upper middle class liberals. So uh, okay. good people, but he he had no real religious faith. But there was a lot of philosophical pessimism, sort of Nietzsche mm-hmm. Nietzscheism in the day. Uh, you know, God is cruel because life is suffering, so why don't you kill yourself? Mm-hmm. Well, I think he really thought about killing himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he, he talks about it in, in his autobiography, you see it in some of his poems and it pops up in places in, in his fiction. And when he comes out of that, he's, he comes out with this sense that any existence at all, just bare minimum existence, is better than no existence. Mm-hmm. So he's got this wonderful poem um, called The Babe Unborn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he starts out like this, this sort of thought experiment. If trees were tall and grasses short, as in some crazy tale, you know, it, it, this, and sort of this, this like, if a fixed fire hung in the air to warm me one day through, and you start thinking, well, all this stuff does exist. Mm-hmm. And then, he's, then he goes into this second part of the poem where it's like, it's dark, and and then you find out at the end. He says, um, "If only I could find the door. If only I were born." Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like, mm-hmm. what would it have been like to have not been born? And so you can tell that he's got this this um, this real gratitude that develops out of this, and a sense of wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'll you know he'll have these uh, kind of eloquent uh, you know poetic. Um, discussions of of what it means to to be worthy of a daisy <laughs> you know hmm. i mean okay. so it's just like he could he could look at anything and see wonder in it yeah and, and kind of beauty childlike childlike and i'm almost buddhist in a sense you know i mean uh you know he he, he ends up converting to anglicanism and to uh later uh, he becomes a catholic but you can see this real contemplative strain in him, mm-hmm. um, which is, is fascinating. Uh, I think one of the best books written on Chesterton was by Hugh Kenner. Uh, it's called Paradox in Chesterton. And he describes Chesterton as a contemplative. He, he sees things. He's like he's very um, perceptive and aware uh-huh. um, of kind of like the being in everything that is, uh-huh, and it's uh-huh. how, how it's connected to capital B being, you know. Yeah. So, um, and he's he's just fun. He's um, he's he's kind of a wild man, you right. know. Uh, uh, so, I mean, he. So, for instance, you've got these these beautiful uh, lines that he like whimsical lines, like angels can fly because they can take themselves lightly, you know. <laughs> um, and and so his his material is full of that. If you do not have mirth, you will certainly have madness. Right. You know? Right. Uh, sort of kind of like take yourself take yourself more lightly and uh, and uh, you know and and look at life with with joy. Mm-hmm. And so uh, and and he was he he was uh, he was lost a lot. Okay. Uh, because he was lost in thought. Right, it's like physically lost. Yeah, yeah. So like you get these you get these stories about him. Like uh, he'd send a telegraph to his wife, "Am at Mar- Market Harborough. Where ought I be?" You know, <laughs> or um, he'd hail a cab and get in and give the cabbie the address. You know, and uh, the, the cabbie would say, "Mr. Chesterton, the address is across the street." You know? <laughs> um, so so here's a here's a story that that's kind of fun. My daughter was studying at Oxford, and 
through the president of the American Chesterton Society, Dale Alquist, uh, I, I was able to get her in touch with Aidan Mackey. Okay. And Aidan Mackey, I'm guessing he's, he's in his 90s and getting up there, but he's, he's the oldest living Chesterton expert. Okay. Uh, and and but partly because he knew Chesterton's, um, uh, Chesterton's wife's sister, mm-hmm. and he knew Dorothy Collins, Chesterton's secretary. And so he had all this sort of inside information. So uh, he, 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 took, he took Ansley out to this pub, and, you know, and, and they talked. And, and he said, I think I've got a story that's not, not ever been in print before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he says, uh, uh, Dorothy Collins and Chesterton's wife's sister, I forget what her name was, uh, they were downstairs, and Chesterton was upstairs in the bathroom. And they hear this, damn! And so later they find out what happened, that Chesterton had... Taken a bath, evidently, and he'd he'd gotten out of the bathtub and he dried himself off, and then he kind of looked around and there he saw a, a tub full of water and he got back in. <laughs> Damn, I've been here already. <laughs> it's kind of classic absent-minded. Yeah, um, yeah. And in fact, he said, um, "I'm not absent-minded. It's just that I'm present-minded about other things." <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. There'd be no room for a character like Chesterton. In our society today, would there? You know, I don't know. I mean, what's really interesting is to uh, ask the question of whether he would have been on TV. <laughs> you know, I mean, what if, what he would have had a talk show because he could have done it. He debated people. Uh, he debated so atheists or agnostic agnostics. H.G. Uh, Wells, uh, Bernard Shaw, uh, George Bernard Shaw, and they would go at it. Um, and you know he was just, but he was he was full of life, and even his opponents uh, respected him. I've, hmm. Here's here's a story that um, Joseph Pierce narrates in his book Wisdom and Innocence. Uh, it's a, it's probably the best biography of G.K. Chesterton. Um, and so it, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher it some, but I've just I've to, I've retold it for my own purposes a lot of times. Sure. So um, Wells had um, published a book. And Chesterton was kind of um, Chesterton got sick, but Chesterton had done a review of of his book, I think, of Wells's book uh, before Chesterton had gotten sick. And then there's these this series of letters back and forth. And Wells, you know, Wells is an atheist. Wells says um, Ch- he thanks Chesterton, um, you know, for the the kind kind review. And then he says something like, "If I ever get into heaven." Um, it will be because I've been a friend of G.K. Chesterton's. It's <laughs> you know, a great thing to say, you know, how, how magnanimous of him. And so when Chesterton gets better, he, he writes back to Wells and he says, you know, my dear Wells, um, if you get into heaven, and then he's got in parentheses, and I should doubt it if I were you. <laughs> he says, if you get into heaven, it won't be because you've been a friend of Chesterton's, but because you've been a friend of humanity's. Huh. And he says, I, I, he says something like, um, uh, we've we've paid far too little attention to what you've given us in your writing, or something like that. And it's like, hmm. what a, a gracious, kind thing to say. So Wells writes back to him and says, and, he, and basically acts uh, uses Chesterton as his confessor, okay. and, and is saying things like, oh, you don't know the half of it, kind of like he's pouring out his heart about what a bad man he is, or something mm-hmm. like that. It just mm-hmm. it's just a wonderful exchange this candid um, spiritual formation, hmm. uh, you know, interaction between them. I, I think that shows uh, this real generosity of spirit that hmm. Chesterton had. 
But these people, okay, so they were going to debate circuit? Yeah, they were going to debate circuit. And I, I suppose it was just like what you do, like in London or something, people would get up on a stage, like something like, I don't know, you think the Paramount Theater or something, you know, mm -hmm. and they would fill these places and then it would be a debate. So Chesterton made a couple of debating tours of mm -hmm. um, the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, it was, he was at Notre Dame and, and, and spoke there. He, he was, so he was not, he like would smoke cigars all mm -hmm. the time and he was a great drinker, you know, um, against, against prohibition. And he, he said, um, he found out that the, the priests at Notre Dame were uh, making their own beer. And he said, I think prohibition's a great idea. We ought to be pro prohibiting things like education. So people start educating themselves. You know? <laughs> start doing things on their Go own. underground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, so then we had to start, uh, you know, uh, vegetables. You know, <laughs> people start growing their own. Um, he had this, uh, this wonderful, kind of a Wendell Berry, you know, uh -huh. Wendell Berry notion of doing things for yourself. So... Uh, there's a great line in one of his books, and he's talking about education in the family and how education really, it has to start in the family. Hmm. And and he's talking about raising kids, and he said, if a thing's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. And so it's, it's, a, it's a quote that's often used out of context. But but basically what he's saying in that, and, and you know, he, he, ex he goes on to explain it some, but it's, don't wait until you're an expert to be a parent because you never will be. And, and the best hmm. things in life are the things that we do not because uh, we're we're becoming an expert in them, but because mm -hmm. we love them. So the you know God gave us um, uh, you know God gave us these things like falling in love. He says like uh, what does he say? Something like uh, <laughs> there's there's certain things that you want to do do for your for yourself. You know, like write your own love letters and blow your own nose. <laughs> You know? and, and so he's just he's got this great refreshing attitude like just dive in there and and take a risk you know mm -hmm. if, if, say the quote again if things are worth if if, if, some, if a thing is worth doing it's worth doing badly meaning just start get in there yeah start and do it and and uh, don't especially don't feel like you've got to be an expert and, and 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 if you think about it it's like what do you learn when you start to do something at home Mm -hmm. Rather than just like now, now there, there's the other thing. It's like don't try to land your own plane if you haven't, you know, right, don't right. have your pilot's license, right? Don't don't do your own brain surgery, <laughs> and maybe for me, like don't do your own plumbing. <laughs> you know, like, you'd be sorry. Sure. And so there's certain things that experts are good for, but uh, you know, like so, um, what do we what do we do? Wendell Berry's got this notion uh, that he's got a quote: how we are. Farming out, basically, no pun intended, but we're farming out much of uh, the much of the work that used to be done at home uh, or or in in the community. That's essential to what it means to be human. Hmm. So let's say taking care of our elderly. Right? Hmm. We just put them in a home now. Hmm. Now I, I know that there's there's problems if somebody gets Alzheimer's. They need twenty four seven, and it used to be that there was an extended family to take care of them, hmm. and we're we're more um, you know kind of transient and isolated in our lives. But that sense that uh, especially like say. The rearing of our young before they ever get into to school, and mm -hmm. then you know, so we, we've got somebody, our, our kid in childcare. Really, is that something we want to give up to somebody else we don't even know? Mm -hmm. Or you know, so all of these different things, um, uh, you know, making our own dinner. What what happens mm -hmm. uh, when we make our dinner with our family instead of just like hitting 
the the fast food place. Right. And would Chesterton see these as kind of sacred Absolutely. practices? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and human, you know, in that sense mm. that that what is most fully human, I think, is most fully sacred. Mm. That I mean, that was, mm. that's my own that's interpretation. Good. That's a good it. line. Yeah. These um, these debates that he would go on. I mean, yeah. the the little I've read of Chesterton, he was yeah. harsh. I mean, he would tear people apart. Yes. Yeah, but also, but oftentimes with humor. So he's you know uh, he's known as a, a paradoxalist, or par- uh, you know he 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 spoke in paradox. Was that was that even a word? A paradoxal? I think it is now. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a kind of a, a an ancient dinosaur. A paradoxalist. <laughs> that's, that's right up there. Pterodactyl. Uh, yeah. So um, yeah. So uh, he's known for this wit, and um, and 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 so, but he was brilliant, uh, and mm-hmm. and but fair too. I think. Let me give you an example of his brilliance. You know, so there's this sense that he was misplaced a lot physically. You know, mm-hmm. that he would get. He would wander and 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 he would be so preoccupied in what he was thinking. He'd end up on the wrong train. Okay, and then he or he'd end up like there's this great thing, this great uh, essay that he's got. Um, I think it's something like it's not about Bilbo Baggins, but it's like what have I got in my pockets or something like that. And he's on a train and he goes through his pockets and he finds all these things like a pen knife, and this this pen knife represents all the battles that have ever been fought, you know, mm-hmm. and he's got, he's got some, uh, some stub from a, a, or, or an old program from an opera that he saw or something. And so this is all the literature and drama. So he's got, he goes to these huge categories. And at the end of it, the only thing he doesn't have in, in his pocket is the ticket for his train. The train that he's on, you know? So, but he was able to write two essays simultaneously. He would, he would hand write an essay while he was dictating another essay to his secretary, Dorothy Collins. So brilliant. And so, and there, here's another story that I like about just about his, his sheer um, uh, brilliance. He, um, he wrote when he became a Catholic and I'm trying to think of when this was 1922, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. Don't hold me to that, but say, say in the, in the, in the early twenties, he becomes a Catholic. He converts to Catholicism. Somebody asked, and they thought it was kind of a joke. Some mm-hmm. people did. Why did you do this? He said, uh, Catholicism is the only uh, religion that promises to forgive my sins. <laughs> that, was, that was the only answer that he gave. Um, but one of the first things he did is he wrote this beautiful biography of St. Francis of Assisi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really wonderful. Um, uh, a very kind of poetic, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a book of spiritual formation, really, in, in its own right. Uh, about um, how Francis uh, turns to to asceticism, and and it and it be, and it frees him to just love everything. Hmm. It's like you know you can't earn the sun and the moon and the stars, you know. Um, and and I think he's it, it's like this: you can't look a gift universe in the mouth. <laughs> That's what he said. What he says <laughs> at some point. But so that that book was a, a real success. Uh-huh. And then he decides he's going to write a book on Thomas Aquinas. And I think the public, a bunch of people, like maybe even some of his editors thought, oh, no, don't do that. You know, I mean, sort of like because Thomas Aquinas is arguably one of the greatest philosophical thinkers of the Western tradition. Right. And Chesterton was known to be kind of this wit and this this humorist. Um, you know, he's basically an essayist for for, for journals, for newspapers. Um and he would he would say to his uh, secretary Dorothy Collins, um, 
run down to the bookstalls and get me some books on Tommy. <laughs> and she'd say, what books? And he'd say, I don't know. So she'd come back with a stack of books. And he'd read them. And he, he, he uh, writes this book, you know, in, in a matter of weeks. And, and then it's just, it's incredible. So Etienne Gilson, I'm, I'm probably not pronouncing that right in French, but uh, a French... Thomist who it w- lived in the 20th century and probably one of the leading Thomistic scholars okay. ever. He he says something like, um, you know, uh, we we all know Chesterton's wit, but when you read this book, he has uh, he's kind of intuited everything that those of us who spent our whole life studying Aquinas only guessed at, you know, and so it's mm. like. He's got this amazing tribute to Chesterton's genius, and and it really is. It's a wonderful book on uh, on Aquinas. So he was bright. He wrote he wrote um, probably two essays a week for most of his adult life. Wow. He starts he starts out as a as an art uh, uh, an art student at, at Slade Art School, and and he says he succeeded at becoming a journalist by failing to become an artist. <laughs> so he, he kind of drops out of art school and he ends up um, writing these essays, you know, for, for papers like the Illustrated London News or the Daily, um, I guess, I think it's just called the Daily. And these are faith pieces, yes? Um, I would call them cultural criticism. So he okay. wrote on everything. If you look through the table of contents in the Illustrated London News, and I'm thinking that in the um, Ignatius Press collected works, just his his the and, and we we don't have all of his essays printed yet, you know, mm-hmm. in print. But just the Illustrated London News would take up what about three feet or four feet on a bookshelf. Wow! And so, but so he he writes those, but then he writes novels. So the Man Who Is Thursday, the Napoleon of Notting Hill, and and it, they're they are influential. So. Um, Michael Collins, who it kind of was was at the the heart of the move towards Irish independence. Okay, he he was inspired by I think it was by Napoleon of Notting Hill to huh. to move for Irish independence, and Gandhi was inspired to move for uh, independent Indian independence from Britain through an essay. Really, yeah, that Chesterton wrote, and then of course Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, attributes his conversion to reading, partly to reading The Everlasting Man by Chesterton. Mm. And he's, he's, Lewis has this wonderful line. He says, uh, a young atheist cannot be too careful of the books he reads or something like that. <laughs> the books he picks up. You know? <laughs> no, that's you up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, um, but so if you just think about like all these genres, uh, he wrote The Father Brown Mysteries. Okay. Uh, he was the first... Um, uh, president of the Detection Society. So this was, uh, he was the first, I think he was the first, and then I think... Um, Detection Society? Yeah, So and then I think Arthur Conan Doyle was the second. It's either it's either Conan Doyle was first and Chesterton was, I think Chesterton might have been first. So it's Chesterton, Conan Doyle, and Agatha Christie. Really? So yeah, this is like the the mystery club, you know? Yeah, he's in these... <laughs> yeah, so he's he's known, you know, and he would he would write those to, to make some money. Okay. You know, you'd yeah. write a bunch of, you'd write a Father, a Father Brown set, you know? Um, but so mystery... Um, I'll come back to the essays, but mystery, fiction, poetry, a lot of poetry, hmm. um, 
he wrote if if you were gonna say Chesterton was an expert at anything, it was sort of Victorian literature, and so hmm. some people would say that he he helped uh, kind of promote Dickens after Dickens had had kind of gone. Uh, you know, into the shadows a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was a he was a, a Dickens scholar, and it would be like you know the people in that area era, Browning, Tennyson. Um, so he was he was a man. It, it, this is kind of like the man of letters. Uh, you know, the 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 scholar of letters tradition that like Emerson would have been a part of, or Matthew Arnold. You know, um, uh, Carlyle R. Arnold in in, the, in that period, and so. Here, this is the term I would call is cultural critic. Okay. So if you look at something today, like um, first things, yeah, right, mm-hmm. um, Touchstone, mm-hmm. those kinds of magazines, uh, what Ken Myers has done with Mars Hill Review, okay. that kind of thing, you know. So it's like because you started, you asked the question: it was is this all faith based? But he would write, he would write articles on Mormonism, on Parliament. Mm-hmm. On you know on just about anything on cheese, <laughs> and these are all kind of laced with humor. Yeah, right? yeah, Is yeah, that- yeah. He said, yeah, p- poets have been have have fallen um, terribly silent on the subject of cheese. You know, <laughs> so you know, uh, yeah, yeah. You, know, you always have these. You know, it, it's a terrible thing to contemplate how how few politicians are hanged. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Just come out with these these zingers, you know. Yeah, uh, it'd be great. Now he would, he was an artist, so he would doodle. He yeah, he did caricature uh, and some wonderful caricature stuff. Uh, and I think actually one of his first books, The Wild Knight, I think something like that. Um, it's got his own sketches in it. But he would also he would do a sketch for somebody that he'd met, uh-huh. and then write a just write a spontaneous poem on mm-hmm. it, you know, and, and, and they give it to them. <laughs> what a great guy. Yeah. All right. I'm going to see if I can make a connection here. Yeah. Okay. Cause you doodle. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, I like to, I, I got a, one of the favorite. Well, so actually I, I succeeded at becoming a, a professor by failing to be an artist. Yeah, also. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> it's just where I'm going with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've seen you when you pay for something with your credit card. Yeah. You don't sign your name. Right. What do you do? Yeah. So I'll draw a rabbit if it's, you know, <laughs> I was just, actually I was drawing, I was drawing something. I was drawing a, uh, a kite the other day because it was windy and and somebody holding it and then but the the thing that holding it ended up being a fish i don't know why it's <laughs> a, fish, a holding fish holding a kite so i thought that was kind of this cool. is at the store the grocery <laughs> yeah, store yeah at the store yeah does anyone ever call you on that they? no they actually appreciate it a lot <laughs> they <laughs> like it because <laughs> i usually like turn it around so they can see it before they hit enter you know? yeah i love it yeah. so, okay so there there's these wonderful parallels between chesterton and you can well I, can i do this i don't know about that i'm i'm not i'm not his his size <laughs> not 300 <laughs> pounds mind, <laughs> my mind is much punier too, but it, it's the, the the fun thing about the book that I got to write. Yeah, uh, and this was this this um, column that I wrote for twelve years, uh, and uh, and so when I finally decided, well, maybe I should try to put this into print. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I would love this if it were illustrated, mm-hmm. and so I asked a colleague of mine, Brian Shaw, who's uh, chair of the art department at, at Spring Harbor University, if he would. If he would do the illustrations and the illustrations, uh, I think they're just, they're very fun and playful because mm-hmm. you look at an essay and then you look at what Brian's done with the essay and it's like, oh, that, I, it, it's exactly what I wished that yeah. I could have done. Yeah. So part of the, part of the way I failed at, at being an artist is I was taking, uh, I was taking beginning drawing 
uh, as a, uh, as a first year college student, you know, uh-huh. and I'm, I'm, I'm drawing some, I don't know, we had some assignment and there's this, this woman next to me, this girl next to me, and she's drawn this bike that like looks better than a bike. And so I'm like, wow, that's wonderful. You, you must've been like drawing since you were like three. And she's like, no, I just started. And it's like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I'm over. I better go teach. Yeah, I, better, <laughs> I, better, I better find something else. I better dig ditches. <laughs> well, you've got these big, I mean, not to overplay, but there's these kind of wonderful connections that you're an artist. He's an artist. His line of, um, you know, you don't have to be perfect at something to, right. to do it. So here you. Right. That's why I pastor. That's why I pastor at church. Somebody asked me, it's like, how do you get up and preach every Sunday? And I said, well, you got to be able to, you know, do something badly. <laughs> well, and then you're even just your beginning in writing with Chester and teaching about Chester. And yeah. you, you didn't know anything about him. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the essays, right? Because your book is just this, yeah. all these wonderful essays put together. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, it is interesting to think about what the essay does just um, when you think of people like, say, Emerson or something like that. Because the essay is really, I think it's geared towards the generalist. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's like... Um, You know, to say, well, any educated person, any person who could read should be able to appreciate this. And it's something that that we ought to be able to discuss and care about, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's a great form. It's like um, it's for the pop. It's a kind of a populist Mm -hmm. uh, form of writing. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. is orthodoxy, would that be his most well-known book today? Well, that's what's interesting. Yeah, I think that it was listed in... uh, uh, Christianity Today's like a hundred, yeah. you know, time. but I think it was up pretty high. It was like number seven or something like of the set of the, you know, you know, uh, I don't know if it was since the beginning of time or what it was uh, <laughs> of the century. Of the century yeah. Um, but uh, it, what's really interesting, it's like with C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. If you say, well, what did you, how did you get into C.S. Lewis? People will say, well, I started with mere Christianity. Mm-hmm. And other people will say Narnia mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, the great divorce or whatever, screw tape letters. And it's the same thing with Chesterton. It's like, um, well, I started with Father Brown. Mm. Or, uh, you know, somebody gave me a, a book of his essays or I started with some of his fiction or something like that. And so I think uh, I think orthodoxy is probably – he wrote it fairly young. It mm-hmm. was like his fourth book or something. He was in his 20s still. Uh, and as I have looked – continue to look at Chesterton's work and read it and try to interpret it. Uh, it seems to me that that is, that's kind of the kernel that he kept on sort of unfolding and expanding mm-hmm. parts of the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. It was like mm-hmm. every, it, it's really dense. Um, and so I think a lot of people have difficulty because it's like you, you read a chapter and you think, like, oh man, I got to read, reread that chapter again. again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then so they never like kind of get on with it or finish okay. it. You know, they feel like I can't. You know, it's it's like I'm still chewing on this over here. It, it, you know, if I were going to recommend one thing for somebody okay. to read, one of those things would be to read just the chapter Ethics on Elfland. It's a, it's kind of a standalone chapter okay. in Orthodoxy, and it's marvelous. Yeah, it's about. Um, it's about the supernatural, but he he calls it magic. Okay. You know, so it's like uh, the you know Newton says the apple falls from gravity, and he says I th- I say the apple's bewitched. <laughs> you, just because it's fallen before doesn't mean it's going to fall next time. It might it might fly off the tree and hit you in the nose next time. <laughs> so you know, it's a kind of wild way of looking at the world. He, he really does. Yeah, he's he's got this uh, image about things being turned upside down. 
Mm-hmm. And it's in uh, it's it's in his book, his biography of Saint Francis, where he says, kind of sort of Francis, Saint Francis, you know, when he before he's you know uh, before he goes on his kind of religious pilgrimage, he he throws everything back in his father's face and walks away naked, kind of you know, mm-hmm. and then he, he kind of like Chesterton says he goes into this cave, you know, so not literally, but but uh, he 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 goes into this dark place. And he says it's like when he came out, he came out, uh, uh, he came out right side up, and everything else was upside down or something like that. Hmm. So it's like the way he's seeing the world, right? You know, it's like everything has, you know, you've shifted perspective. It's a paradigm shift, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Everything shifted, and so I think that Chesterton has a way of turning everything on its head, mm-hmm. and, and kind of, uh, you know, a, a contemplative way to look at things, you know, mm-hmm. in a beautifully. In humorous way. Yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So I started reading Orthodoxy, and I mean, he's just brutal. Yeah. I mean, he kind of writes this book to yeah. shame someone, right? Or to, yeah, you know, I mean, he, he got a challenge, right, about yeah about his his faith and just explaining his faith, and so yeah, he he doesn't pull punches. Yeah, with the but was this an era where people could disagree but still kind of hold a relationship together and. Well, I think he did, but I, not necessarily. <laughs> okay. I mean, I think that's, you know, it's what's really interesting, Nate, is to think about right now and the political climate and mm-hmm. how polarized the country's been. And so, you know, there's this sense, I think, that you, I got from, um, you know, kind of, if you look at some of the the monastic statements about community, it's like you don't you know, it's hard to live in a monastery, right, mm-hmm, with other mm-hmm. people who could get on your nerves. But to forfeit your sense of peace, mm-hmm. because, you know, your inner peace to get involved in this uh, this little game over here about what's it about? Mm-hmm. I think that, that Chesterton somehow was always able to stand, like to step off stage mm-hmm, and say, mm-hmm. well, this is not about me. It really is about the ideas and the ideas are neutral. Yeah. He said that um, he and his brother Cecil used to argue and he said that, you know, the problem with a quarrel is it it will destroy a, a good argument. <laughs> the problem with a quarrel will destroy a good argument. Okay. And so he's, he, you know, he's, he's really thinking like, no, these, these m- m- questions matter. Let's, let's get down to the question, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh. and he would call someone on the line, but it wasn't personal. Right. Right. So I think we could learn a lot from his spirit. <sighs> today. Wouldn't it be beautiful to have a, a prophet of sorts that's able to yeah. mediate these conversations and right. with humanity and right. still have some care for each other. Yeah, he's somebody that I, you know, I, I can emulate a lot to say, mm-hmm. you know, I shouldn't take myself so seriously. Mm-hmm. Probably that's the his humility. I, and and I think his humility and his humor are, are really just like two sides of the same coin. Yeah, was he celebrated in his day? He he was he was that kind of figure that everybody knew. That you know he was he was a. A sloppy dresser. His, I think that there's a, there's some sort of a statement that his wife, unable to uh, keep him tidy, thought that she'd make him look interesting or something. So he had this. I don't know what this is, but you can see it's a slouch hat and a cape. And then he had, he would carry. The great thing about him is he like he had a sword stick. So I, I found a sword stick over when I was in Prague. I found a sword stick. So he would he had a sword stick and a revolver. Wait, what is a sword stick? Well, it's like a it's a it's a walking stick, and you. Oh, pull it out. Pull it out. It's a sword. Ooh. The cane is a sword. You have one. I've got one, yeah. You take it to class. I take it to class, yeah. yeah, good, yeah. Good. In case any students want to, you know, challenge my, <laughs> my views on Chesterton. <laughs> but, but so he would say, this is kind of like, it's, it's you know, if, if he met a pessimist, 
<laughs> he would try to cure it. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll put you out of your misery. You know, <laughs> he'd offer to put him out of their misery. So this, it, this appears in his, uh, his novel, Man Alive. It's one of the, the funniest, uh, sections of his, out of his fiction, I think, where this, this pessimistic British philosopher says, you know, if, if the puppy had hydrophobia, we'd put it out of its misery. Why doesn't God put us out of our misery? You know, it's like, um, life is, is suffering. And so we should commit suicide. And so this undergraduate says, I'll put you out of your misery, old mate. I, I finally, we finally connected at last and I see your, I see your traumas. And he chases him out onto this like gargoyle, you know, out the window. And the guy's begging for life. He's like, no, no, let me get back. And he says, and, and it's really funny. He's just like, this is a I, joke. This is really happened. Well, you wonder it. It's probably a joke, but okay. it, it probably, you know, he was confronted with this pessimism, this philosophical pessimism. And, uh, so the guy's begging to get back, you know, you know, to life, basically. And he says, I think that you should, I should make you sing a hymn first. <laughs> so he makes him sing a, a hymn. It's uh, like the uh, Christian Fight Club here. Yeah, yeah actually, it, really, it really is. It actually reminds me of that scene. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Raymond K. Heschel, Heschel or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you know? it's, I'm giving you your life back I'm giving, Yeah, he says, think how good his breakfast will take, taste in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> After wow. he threatens to blow his brains out. You right, know? Yeah. right. Pretty sick, but, yeah. but there's something in that. But, but it's like we were talking about this earlier. What is it that we get up for in the morning? Why don't yeah. we commit suicide? Well, it's because we their life is worth living. I have to try to think of this poem. Um, the gallows in my garden, people say, are new and neat and adequately tall. I tie the noose on in a knowing way as one who knots his necktie for a ball. And just as all the neighbors on the wall are drawing a long breath to shout hooray, the strangest whim has seized me after all. I think I will not hang myself today. So this is like, this is really this, you know, tongue in cheek celebration of not killing yourself. Yeah. And then he says, uh, he starts to go through all of these things that could be like worth living for. Like my uncle's sword is hanging on the wall. Perhaps the rector's mother will not call. I think that uh, I fancy that I heard from Mr. Gall that mushrooms can be cooked another way. I never read the works of juvenile. I think I will not hang myself today. Mm. And so it's this sense like think, Nate, think of the games we could play if there's a sword on the wall. I mean, you know, right, right. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe that old, that old crazy rector's mother won't come. Let's have a great day, you know? I mean, so it's all of this, this like, what if? What if? Do you think that there's something to this character, you know, kind of brilliant, absent-minded, mm -hmm. must have been difficult, you know, conforming to living in society. Yeah. Suicidal as a youth, but then this great humor. And do you yeah. think some of this was his way, I mean, we're speculating, yeah. of his way of, continuing to live each day was finding wonder and beauty and you know mystery i yeah this i think it's a good question and because what i've what i've asked people and thought about some is you know whether chesterton took human suffering seriously enough and so like did he just bracket that out and say and i'm not going there anymore because couldn't okay you know um and I think I think there are ways where you can see. So, for instance, he and his wife were never able to have children, and it was mm -hmm. it was a great heartache for them. Uh, and his uh, his brother died in World War One, you know, and, mm. and so it wasn't that he didn't have suffering, but he didn't dwell on it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think I think it's this kind of thing where it's like uh, he he talks about being a cosmic optimist. Hmm. Mm -hmm. versus a cosmic pessimist like sort of like um 
you know, this, this world is what we have. Let's, let's figure out how to celebrate it. Mm. Right. That's good. Yeah. When you get to meet Chesterton. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. One question. What would you ask him? Um, that's a great, what question. will you ask him? Let me what start will there. I ask him? <laughs> I'm going to ask him if he'll go jogging with me. <laughs> I love it. I love because it. Uh, I've always said, uh, Dale Alquist has is, is never gone jogging with me, the president of the American Chesterton <laughs> Society. And he says he never will, but I think it's because he really misunderstands jogging. <laughs> See, I think of a thing's worth doing badly. You know, it, it's worth doing. It's worth doing badly. Let's do it badly. Yeah. There you go. So. Tell people the book, then, Jogging with Chesterton. Jogging with G.K. Chesterton. I forget what the subtitle is. But. Yeah. <laughs> I do too, but I remember the cover. Yeah. It's a beautiful it, cover. It, Brian Shaw did the cover art and it's yeah it's very large man with sneakers on yeah. <laughs> that's right yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good yeah. good and that people can find that on amazon they the, could yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah robert moore jumanville yes <laughs> yes <laughs> wonderful to be with you well there you have it again mojo's book is titled jogging with gk chesterton 65 earth-shattering expeditions and for those of you interested in participating in helping me celebrate my dad's 75th birthday, you have a few more weeks to participate. You can email your story to justine at renovare.org, J-U-S-T-I-N-E at renovare.org, or leave a message at 1-844-RENEW-88, 1-844-RENEW-88. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, you might listen to the March 6th podcast I did with my dad, episode number 71. Have a great week.